you know, we wrapped up our sermon series, Jesus, Wisdom, and Uncertain Times, last Sunday. And today we're going to get into a new series called A Church Like Christ, A Study of Ephesians. Now, what I've been praying for, Essence Place, is that God would speak to us for the next season of growth as a church. I understand that we're still in a season of COVID and and having social distancing. And so while we're not physically together yet as a church, I still believe that there is something that God is speaking to us in this season for us to continue to grow as a community community of faith. What I mean is that it's not just about us growing individually, but it's actually us still growing together corporately, even with some distance between us. Now, as I've been praying and we step into the book of Ephesians, I think it's so important because Ephesians um, is one of Paul's letters written to the, the early Christians in the city of Ephesus. And in this letter, it was Paul's way of communicating um, the importance of the gospel. You know, they didn't have live streaming or, or the ability to tweet or send out a Facebook message in the ancient world. And so Paul wrote letters and those letters were carried by foot to those early Christians. And so what we have captured in this letter to the Christians in Ephesus is something that um, theologians have called uh, theologically rich. And we'll find as we study in the book of Ephesians, we are going to find places of empowerment as we start to, to look at what it teaches us about the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And then through that power of the resurrected Jesus Christ, we have a different way of living that transforms us at our very soul. And then as it transforms us, it transforms the way that we relate to others. It transforms every relationship. It even transforms the way that we understand and the way that we view God. And so as we work through the book of Ephesians, we're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. There's only six chapters, but it will take us a few weeks to get through it. But I believe that as we study it, there are going to be some places that are theologically deep that we're going to really have to unpack to understand what's going on. There are some challenging places in the book of Ephesians that are going to challenge our view of the world right now and our understanding of the way that God works in us. But I believe through it, we are going to come to a place, as Paul writes in Ephesians, of understanding what it means to see Jesus Christ as the head of the church and that we are the body. The brothers and sisters in Christ are the body of Christ and what it means to be unified in Christ Jesus. And so as we jump into the book of Ephesians, one of the things that I think is so important for us up front is to have some historical context. You're going to see on the screen some pictures of the city of Ephesus as it looks today or pretty close to today. So you see ancient ruins. But one of the things that was so amazing about the city of Ephesus is that it was directly east, it still is, directly east, located now in modern-day Turkey, but in its day, Ephesus was directly east across the Aegean Sea from Athens, Greece. And so what we found in Ephesus was a diversity of people, but mainly Greeks, that had come from Athens and were living in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus being located on the sea was actually one of the largest Roman seaports in the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire uh, was holding on uh, control in its empire in Asia Minor, and Ephesus being on the water was one of the largest and busiest seaports in its day and its time. Now, what was located in that city, and this is one thing that um, is really amazing, is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That was a temple built to the goddess Artemis. For the Romans and Roman gods, that was Diana. But for the Greeks, it was Artemis. And what was built there in this this temple, it was central to the city. It was so huge that it became the pride of the city of Ephesus. They looked at 
they looked at Artemis as being the, the protector, the, the patron goddess over the city of Ephesus, leading to its um, prosperity and, and its ability to have influence in that part of Asia Minor. And then in the city as well, there was a temple that was built to the emperor Julius Caesar. And this was um, after his murder, uh, after Julius Caesar was murdered, the, the Roman Senate declared that he was a god. It was the deification of Caesar, and they built a temple to Caesar there as well. So in this city, there's a large temple that was built to the goddess Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world. There was a temple built to, to worship Caesar, the deified Caesar. And then there were smaller temples throughout the city for worshiping other Greek gods. But mainly it was Artemis who was the power, most powerful, influential goddess. And the, the cultic worship that surrounded Artemis was the driving force of that city. It was a, a place of identification. And so we have to understand that you know the civic identity, its civic pride, um, its standing even in the religious structure and its civic well-being were all tied to this imperial cult, the worship of Caesar and then the worship of Artemis. And so this is one of the things that when we look at this snapshot in time of when Paul is writing the letter to the church in Ephesians, in, in Ephesus to the Ephesians, what he's doing is he's communicating to a people who are beginning to follow in the way of Jesus but as they do, they are cutting against the culture that exists in their city and then within the Roman Empire. It was the privileged um, elite and the wealthy of the city who were connected to this worship of the goddess Artemis. And so when Paul is, is writing this letter, what he's communicating is following one true God. The, the one true God that was found in the Son, Jesus Christ. And so as you can imagine, it's challenging. But if we back up some years from the time that, that Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians, we actually see in the book of Acts, the book of Acts written by Luke, captures the Acts of the Apostles. So their, their travels as the church and the message of Jesus is spreading throughout the, the country um, and throughout the world. And what is being captured in the book of Acts are, are many of the adventures of Paul. I don't know how else to say it other than Paul's adventures. And there's some pretty harrowing stories in there. But if we zero in on the end part of Acts chapter 18, chapter 19, and the beginning of chapter 20, it captures the season in Paul's life where he is living in Ephesus. He, he comes there, he travels there, and he lives there, kind of a base of operations for him in his home for about two to three years, we can tell from the book of Acts. And in this um, connection to the city of Ephesus, Paul, as he's living there, um, is building relationships. You know, he would have been personally aware of all of the public spaces in Ephesus, and he would have been meeting people that were in the in the marketplaces. Even when he was there, part of, part of what was set up was a market space where... Um, some of the other believers were, were selling their wares and things that they were making, and Paul would use that space to preach from. He would preach in um, different spaces within the city of Ephesus. And so we see captured in Luke or in um, Acts chapter 18, 19, and 20, um, Paul kind of unfolding the beginning of, of the gospel for people there. It tells us that when he first arrived, um, there was a small group of believers of Jesus, but they didn't fully understand what it meant to follow Jesus. And then they got to live with Paul in their city for about two to three years. And as that, that message of Jesus is unfolding through Paul's teaching, we see a radical shift start to happen within the religious scape, but then also the, the, the business and the, the civic landscape 
Gate of the city of Ephesus by the power of Jesus Christ working through Paul. Now, we have to see that this time, let me give you a little bit of the timeline. So part of what's happening here is as Paul is living in Ephesus, this is about 20 years after the death of Jesus. So if you think about it, Jesus walked the earth, Jesus dies and is, is resurrected, resurrected, returns to heaven. Paul has his encounter in the years following. He converts to following Jesus and says that, um, you know, Jesus is the son of God. He is the way. And then um, as time is passing, there's about 20 years that Paul finds himself in the city of Ephesus. And as he's living there, um, what he's communicating to the people that are living there and as he's preaching is not yet the content that's the letter of Ephesians. That comes some years later. But right now, as we see in the book of Acts, what Paul is living out is a fairly fresh way of viewing God and viewing God through the Holy Spirit. And, and so part of what happens in Paul's passion and his empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it starts to spark a wildfire within the city of Ephesus. Like he's really stirring things up. Look at this with me in Acts chapter 19. Scripture says, Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months. So he goes first to the Jews that are there, the ones that he knows. Remember, he used to be a religious leader within the, the Jewish system. And so he goes first to them in the synagogue. And as he preaches, um, he's arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn. I think that's a nice way of saying they got angry at Paul. They rejected his message and publicly started to speak against the way, the way being the way of following Jesus. So Paul left the synagogue and he took the believers in Jesus with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannius. And this is a place, even as they've excavated, they've been able to find this space that they believe to be this lecture hall where Paul would have been publicly preaching. Verse number 10, this went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Paul's preaching of the one and only God, though, becomes a threat to the status quo. It becomes a threat to the way the city was structured, the way the city was working. You know, there was a religious structure that already existed there, the, the Greek and Roman gods and their allowance of the Jews to be there and have a synagogue. But as the Christians kind of come on the scene and they start talking about following Jesus, and then as Paul is there and preaching, it starts to stir something up. And it's not a good thing that it's stirring up because it becomes a threat to the city. It becomes a threat to the, the businesses and the structure and the, the way of life that existed in the city. It was something so disruptive because Paul was preaching a baptism in the way of Jesus and Jesus alone. And remember, this city's pride and their claim to fame was this massive temple built to Artemis. The, the structure of the city and the flow of life was built all around this. And so Paul kind of threw a wrench in the system and he, he the gears were grinding. And then it leads to a point, and this is right before Paul ends up having to leave Ephesus, where the, the business people, the, the silversmiths who created uh, idols to the goddess Artemis, um, become so threatened by Paul's teaching that a riot starts to break out. And there's this intensity that starts to build around Paul. So look at this with me now as we look at Acts chapter number 19, 23 through the next few following verses. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines to the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together, along with others employed in similar trades, and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, 
You know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. So here we have Demetrius who's in an uproar because, well, I'm not just losing business, but I'm concerned, you know, for the goddess that she won't have. Obviously, you can see there is a threat to the status quo, that the the religious structure of their uh, space, of their city, was built around a certain way of thinking, doing, and acting. And what Paul was preaching of Jesus was disrupting that. It was changing that all the way to the point that look at what it says in verse 28. At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, amphitheater, dragging along Gaetius and Artisius, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. So what has happened here is Paul ends up, he ends up having to leave Ephesus out of fear for his life. Um, But it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he determines Macedonia is the place that I'm supposed to go next to, to carry on the message of Jesus. But in his wake behind him in Ephesus, like the fire that he sparked with preaching the message of Jesus just begins to spread like wildfire. And there's this this growing passion that starts to, to grow in the people of Ephesus learning about Jesus Christ, learning about the, fo- the, the following in the way of Jesus Christ. And as this unfolds over the next few years, there's a growing remnant of Christians that live in Ephesus, all the way to the point that, you know, during the time that Paul was living there, he actually wrote a letter um, to the church in Corinth that's 1 Corinthians, we believe was written there. And so there's some influence that had come out of Ephesus, even during Paul's time as he was writing to another church in another city. But as the Christian uh, community is growing in Ephesus, it actually becomes a place where it was desirable for Christians to live. We see the apostle John end up living there and living the final final part of his life. And we believe that the gospel of John was written during John's time living in Ephesus. It's also believed that Mary, the mother of Jesus, ended up moving to Ephesus and lived there for the end of her life. And and today there's ancient ruins that they believe are the tombs of both John and Mary. Now we see that there is this, this historic influence that the city of Ephesus was beginning to have, but it's not just in, in what was sparked through Paul's time in Ephesus that begins this, this ripple effect throughout history, but we see that as this, this group of believers is growing, it's about 10 years later that Paul writes a letter near the end of his life that he writes to the Ephesians. And that is the epistle to the Ephesians or the letter to the Ephesians that we have in our Bible today. And it was written at a time where Paul um, was now in Rome, but he wasn't living comfortably in Rome. He was in Rome imprisoned and about to, to have um, be put to death, about to be martyred for his faith. And as he's in prison, he writes um, a few of epistles or letters that are written to the different churches 
churches. Uh, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon, these are generally believed to have been written by Paul um, during his time in Rome now under um, Roman guard and being uh, imprisoned in Rome. And so this letter that he writes to the Ephesians that we have is almost in a way of him recalling and remembering from some years previous the, the relationships that he had built there, remembering the city that he lived in, remembering what was sparked and what was started then. And so as he writes this letter, what he's doing is he's writing under, under the power of the Holy Spirit to communicate something that is not, again, just theologically rich for us to think about and contemplate, but he's writing to the Ephesians and also to us by by relationship to what it means to walk in the way of Jesus. You know, some believe that this letter to the Ephesians became so powerful that it became almost like a, a template letter that was sent by Paul's followers to churches all throughout Asia Minor. It was kind of like they took the, the letter that Paul had written to Ephesians and just removed the Ephesians name and started sticking other names on it and saying, you have to read this too. Here, here's a letter from Paul that you need to read too. And it spread all throughout. And so there's something so poignant for us in the letter of Paul to the Ephesian church that is it carries throughout time. I mean, it becomes almost like an instruction manual to the early church of how to live not just to live, you know, right doctrine, but to how to live out faith in a challenging and even hostile environment, in an environment that is set against you, in an environment that is worshiping other gods that has idolized things that are not the one true God. And as Paul begins to unpack that and break that up, what he's doing is he's building a strong foundation that our faith can be built on. He's building a strong foundation of what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ, united in the body of Christ with Jesus as the head of the body, the head of the church. And so as we step into the scriptures today, I want to look at just the first few verses with the remainder of our time as we begin to unpack what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians. Let me read the opening verses of uh, Ephesians for us. This is starting in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 1. This is the letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan." 
God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we could praise and glorify him. And to that I say amen. What an opening to a letter. You know, in this um, opening to Paul's letter, we start seeing some very deep things about the nature of Christ Jesus and the nature of who we are in Christ Jesus. And so what I want us to see as we look at these first few verses is number one, God adopted us. Paul says this in verse number four, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ. He decided in advance to adopt us into his family, to bring us to himself through Christ. You know, it's through the death of Jesus Christ that we are made right with God. It's an inheritance of life that we receive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this is part of what leads to transformation in our life and in our world. And, and this comes from this place of understanding that we have been adopted into the family of God. And so Paul is wanting us to understand as he uses that imagery of adoption, that through this adoption by God, we were chosen by God. God looked at us favorably and he said, I want you to be mine. It's so powerful. You know, when we think about it, it, it comes from, from this place, as, as Paul writes, that it is a God bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And so because of Jesus Christ, it's as though God is no longer dealing with us on the basis of our sins. It's actually the fact that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a new life. We have a full life. And that life is, is the life of this amazing work of adoption, this place of belonging in Christ Jesus. Theologian Dallas Willard says this pertaining to God's grace. He says, grace is God's action in our lives to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. Here's what happens all too often. We get caught up in this cycle of feeling as though we don't belong. Like we haven't proven enough to, to belong to God, that we haven't proven our place of belonging in the family of God. So we see Paul addressing it both with the Ephesians, but he's also addressing us. And he's saying, look, you're not second class. You're not outsiders. The work of Jesus Christ is an expression of the fact that God has adopted you. He has made you his own. He has brought you into the family of God. And so in that, stand firm. In that, own your place of belonging as a son or daughter of God. But unfortunately, what happens is we can get distracted by the areas of our lives that seem to fall short of God's perfection, to fall short of God's holiness. And then in that, we equate that to us being outsiders, as though we're not, we're not welcome in the family. But when we read Paul's encouragement to the Ephesians and encouragement to us, we start to recognize that you know, we're the ones that have our arguments. We're the ones that have our resistance to God's acceptance of us. And that when we read it, we realize that what Paul is communicating in the heart of God is that that is not God's attitude or posture to us at all. His attitude and his posture is that we are accepted, that we are adopted, that we are brought into Christ Jesus. And not only that, 
It's that God decided in advance to adopt us. It wasn't after we said, okay, God, I think I'll give you a try that God says, okay, now you're welcome. God was already in a posture of adopting us into his own family. And it's so much so that Paul is writing to the Ephesians and saying, look, This is not something that because you decided to follow Jesus, now you've been adopted. This is something that God wanted to do. And you know what? I'll go you one better. Not only did God want to do it, it gave him great pleasure. Think about that. Are you willing to receive that place of adoption that it gives God great pleasure to have you in his family? Can you believe it? Your adoption into the family of God, not only was it decided in advance, it's what God wanted to do and it brings him joy. Your place in the family of God brings God joy. Remember, Paul is talking to a group of people here that are religious and, and um, religiously and ethnically diverse. This is a port city with people from all over, but they're beginning to follow Jesus. And as he writes to them, he's painting this picture of adoption or this of belonging in Christ as not just by their, by their choosing, but instead he's saying it's the predetermined course of God that you would be brought into the family of God, that you would have a place of belonging. So when Paul writes this and and we read it, we read it and we understand in the same way we are adopted into the family of God and that it brings God joy. So what you have to do is you have to lift your head and walk in the confidence of knowing that you are part of the family of God, that God the Father wants it that way and that because you have been adopted into the family of God, God is smiling about it. He's joyful about it. He wants you in his family. We see a little bit later that Paul says that God is so rich in his kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. That it's this idea of like he, he put a deposit on us and claimed us with the blood of Jesus Christ of saying they are mine and he forgave us of our sins through Christ Jesus. And Paul continues says, he has showered or he has poured out his kindness on us along with all the wisdom and understanding of God. This is the, this is what Paul is saying about the heart of God. Like he wants, he's almost like he's trying to shake the Ephesians and say, don't you understand? You are in the family. You have been adopted. The work of Christ Jesus has brought you in. And so own it live from that place, allow it to transform you. And there's some things coming up that Paul's going to address about the way that they live and the way that they relate to one another that I think it was really important for him to open his letter first and saying, you know what, we got to get this straight from the very beginning. Before we can talk about anything else, you need to understand that you have been adopted into the family of God, that you belong, God chose it, God wanted it, and it brings him joy. It brings him pleasure to have you in the family. So belong. But this is where things start to get really wild because Paul says, not only have you been adopted into the family, but number two, God has revealed his mysterious will to us. God's revealed his mysterious will to us. Verse number nine, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is 
to fulfill his own good plan. And then he he starts to unpack what that plan is. But that word mysterious in the in the Greek, it's the word mysterion. It's where we get our English word mystery. And um, sometimes it's translated as secret. But it's a word that is used in the New Testament about 27 times. And um, a majority of those are mostly by Paul. But in the book of Ephesians and then the letter that he was writing at the same time, the letter to the Colossians, he uses that word, the mystery, the mysterion. He uses it 11 times, this, this mystery of God's will. And the mysterion, as we understand it in the Greek, it kind of has two understandings. One is just something hidden and unknown. But the second meaning that is most likely Paul's meaning is that it's something that was previously hidden that is now being revealed in an unexpected way. The mysterion. It's a fun word to say. The mysterion of God. And it's this is Paul's defining this, this secret, this mysterious plan in this way. It's to unite heaven and earth under the authority of Christ Jesus. And and again, remember in Ephesus, who had previously been the authority? The Roman Empire, the worship of Caesar. Who else was the authority? The worship of the goddess Artemis? The temple, this oppressive structure that kind of reigned over the landscape of Ephesus, like that previously had been the uniting force for the city of Ephesus. But Paul is writing to the Christians there and going, no, no, no. In God's mysterious will, in God's mysterious way, he's unfolding something deeper and truer that you have to understand. It's no longer about the power structures of this world. What Paul is saying is that the power of God is found in Christ Jesus. And God is revealing this mysterious will to us through Christ Jesus. And he's saying it will happen at its proper time and it'll happen in the right way. And the way that it's happening is through you following in the way of Christ Jesus. We're still living in that same mysterious way, being asked to choose. Are we going to live under the authority of something other than Christ Jesus? Or are we going to accept the mysterion of God, this mysterious will of God that is to unite all things through Christ Jesus and Christ alone? This is what's so amazing about the Christian faith is that it's experienced individually, but it's also experienced collectively. What do I mean? Well, as as we are choosing to follow in the way of Christ Jesus, as we are choosing to be unified in Christ Jesus, to accept our place of adoption, to, to live in this mysterion, the mysterious will of God, and allowing Christ Jesus to be the authority. It's not just Christ Jesus is the authority in my life, but it's as Christ Jesus becomes the authority in your life, and in your life, in your life, and the next one, there is a unifying and unity that starts to be built out of that. There's a strength that comes out of that. And it comes from a place of understanding this mysterious will of God that has been revealed, that previously was hidden, but now is revealed to us. And it's discovered through the power of Jesus Christ. It's discovered through an understanding of Christ Jesus' death and resurrection and what it means to be also dead to our sins, but alive in Christ. To know that God no longer relates to us on the basis of our sins, but he relates to us on our place of standing in his grace through Christ Jesus. And as we live from that place, what happens is a transformation that truly starts to transform us from the inside out. And so we have to understand as we read this opening from Paul is that we have been adopted we have been been selected and seen by God and said that I want you to be part of my family. 
God speaks to all of creation and says, you are mine, my sons and my daughters. You have a place of belonging. And then out of that, I'm going to reveal my mysterious will, the will of the work of Christ Jesus, my son, in you and through you. But then number three, what happens next is that God gives a guarantee of inheritance. What does that guarantee of inheritance look like? Well, look with me at verse number 11. Paul writes, furthermore, because we are united with Christ and in Christ, we have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And when you, and then he says in verses later, when you have believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. And then verse number 14, he says, the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So even just in these few verses, one thing that we see revealed here is the power of the Trinity. We see the work of God the Father. We see the the named power of Christ Jesus the Son. But then we see that there is, through the Holy Spirit, this this gift of an inheritance that we we have been marked by the Holy Spirit as belonging to Christ Jesus, that we are in and under the authority of Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is naming here is that the full work of God is happening in you. And as he writes this letter to the Christians in Ephesus, he's saying, look, don't miss out. Don't misunderstand. Yeah, choosing the way of Jesus is going to disrupt your life. Choosing the way of Jesus may actually disrupt your work. It may choose that you live, may mean that you choose to live in a different way. Your choosing to follow Jesus may impact the bottom line. Maybe you were a silversmith that used to worship these idols, but it means the time for that is over and it's gone and God has something different for you to do. And there is a greater inheritance in Christ Jesus that you receive when you follow and accept the place of your adoption in Christ, when you're living in this mysterious will of God, the authority of Christ, that is a guaranteed inheritance from God. It's not just some inheritance for some time beyond this life, but it's something for here and now. And what Paul is speaking to us is he is showing us, look, there are power structures of this world. There are temptations all around you. There are things that may seem as though they're a guaranteed safe bet, a way of meeting your own needs, a way of providing for yourself. But when you are in Christ Jesus, when you have been marked with the Holy Spirit, you have received the promise of an inheritance as a child of God, one that's been been adopted into the family of God that's no longer based on the things of this world, but it's based on the work of the power of Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit in you. When the power of our belonging in Christ becomes the bedrock foundation of our life, it leads us to a place of living differently. Paul says it that, you know, he God did all of this so that we would praise and glorify him. But to praise and glorify him is not just words that we put on our lips when we sing songs together as a church. To praise and glorify God means that we are living in a surrendered way, in a way of belonging to Christ Jesus that says, all that I am is yours. I surrender it all. 
I, I, I release and I destroy all of the idols of my life and the things that I worship or the wealth that I was trying to amass. And I live for you. So I hope that you can see the parallels that exist between the culture of Ephesus and the worship of Artemis, this goddess of fertility, the one that was a promised um, a place of, of wealth and um, prosperity. If you would just worship the goddess, then to moving to a place of following Christ Jesus and saying, I surrender all. I die to all of it. And I come alive in Christ. I know that I have a place of adoption and belonging in the family of God. And as God works his mysterious will in me and in the community of faith, the ones following Christ Jesus, we will live out of a place of a guaranteed inheritance in Christ Jesus. This is how the message of the gospel spreads. It's our life transformed by God that then displays something unique and different to the world around. This is what became the the wildfire that spread from Ephesus and all throughout Asia Minor. This is why Paul writes to the believers and he wants them to capture this and understand it. This is why today we can say we're followers of Jesus because centuries ago there were people willing to surrender it all to follow in the way of Jesus Christ. And so now the question that is asked of us What comes beyond our life? What comes of the generations that follow after us? Will we live in the same attitude of surrender of saying, I am adopted into the family of God and I'm going to live out of a place that is under the authority of Christ Jesus and that I will live knowing I have a guaranteed inheritance in Christ Jesus and nothing of this world. It truly transforms the way in which we live, the way in which we relate to the world. I mean, look at what Paul has laid out here in just these first few verses of Ephesians. He says, this is what God has done. This is what he is doing right now. And this is what he is going to do. God gives us redemption. He gives us forgiveness of sins. He lavishes riches on us, this inheritance. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. He has purposed this mystery for us to understand our purpose and our place under Christ Jesus. God is is going to bring all things in unity under Christ Jesus. He has blessed us. He chose us. He has adopted us. And he has given us grace. And all of this only in the first 14 verses of the book of Ephesians. I hope you can feel my excitement because this is powerful. This is transformative. This is what leads us to the place of abundant life that was promised from Jesus when we're willing to surrender our will and our way to follow in the way of Jesus. We experience the abundant life. Jesus said it this way in John 10.10. If you remember, he said he is the good shepherd. He is the one that is watching out. He is protecting the flock. He says in John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give a rich and satisfying, abundant life. This is how we live an abundant life. And it's not a life lived just for ourselves. It's a life understanding that our life is lived poured out for others as we know our belonging in Christ Jesus. And so we come to the place of having to ask ourselves this question, are we willing to live out of our place of inheritance in Christ Jesus? It's not about material wealth. It's not about having perfect and full health. It's not about having every want and need met, but it's living in the inheritance of Christ Jesus. This is what Paul has been showing us. It is yours to receive, for you to live out of, and that's how we make a loving impact in this world. This is what truly transforms us through and through. 
author and, and theologian Eugene Peterson wrote this in, in one of his books. He explains it this way. Christian spirituality means living in the mature wholeness of the gospel. It means taking all the elements of your life, children, a spouse, job, even the weather, possessions, relationships, and experiencing them as an act of faith. What he's saying here is that you take all the elements of your life and you start to to understand them and experience them as an expression of faith, a place of surrender to God, of seeing that maybe it's a maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a job. He says even the weather, sometimes the weather is an oppression or the weather is an encouragement and we see that through all of it, through every relationship, it all becomes a place of experiencing the grace of God. It is an act of faith to live in a way of saying, God, what I am at the core, at the essence of who I am is a child adopted by you, one who belongs to you. And so then everything I have, everything I experience flows from this place of this generous uh, inheritance that's guaranteed to me through Christ Jesus. Our daily life in Christ is living out of this place. The journey of transformation, this this place of moving through discipleship, is is a long-term gift of this inheritance that we have through the Holy Spirit. So our expressions of of, spiritual discipline, spiritual practices, are, are really just expressions of God's grace in our life. We have to place ourselves before God and and receive from Him. So anytime that we stop and we read the Bible, any place time that we move into an attitude of prayer or we're contemplative and we reflect on Scripture, it involves us showing up and doing our part. But in that, what we receive from God, what we receive from the Holy Spirit is one more continuance of this inheritance that we have through Christ Jesus. It's in God's willingness and dependence on on Him that we have this back and forth relationship. We are receiving from God as He's pouring out and flowing that, that inheritance into our life. This is what we were made for. This is what we were created for. And this is why Paul starts in this letter of saying, look, Ephesians, you have to get this right before anything else. You have to know that you are in Christ Jesus. So my prayer for you is that this week that you find time to slow down and thank God that he has included you in the mystery of of his great will, of his great plan, this plan of adopting you and bringing you into the family, that he chose it, that it brings him great joy and great pleasure. Would you slow down this week and just spend time in, in rest in the presence of God that says, you are mine and you bring me great joy. All of that through Christ Jesus. At the same time, I think we need to spend some time this week resting in in God's presence, but engaging in Scripture. Take time this week and read through the book of Ephesians. You know, read it from beginning to end. It's only six chapters. It won't take you very long to read from the beginning to the end. But read what Paul is writing here. Take in the whole of it. See where we're going in our conversation. Understand there are some cha- there are some portions of it that are challenging. And we're going to work through those in the coming weeks. And understand what Paul was speaking to the, the church in Ephesus. But as you read through the book and engage with what Paul is writing, maybe even um 
listen to it in an audio Bible. You can do that through the YouVersion Bible app. You can have the scriptures read to you. This is how the Ephesians would have first encountered this letter from Paul. There was only a copy of the letter, and it would be read aloud as though Paul was preaching it. Someone would read the letter from Paul's voice to them. So maybe this week you take time to listen through the book of Ephesians a few times. There are some powerful truths that will begin to already impact your heart and your life. But finally, I want to challenge you this week. Spend some time listening to the Holy Spirit as God shows you how to live within the mystery of Christ Jesus. Listen to the Holy Spirit and allow yourself to become this embodiment of Christ Jesus to the world. As Paul said, when we come to this place of knowing that we are in Christ Jesus, that that God did all of it so that we would bring him praise and that we would bring him glory. And I have to believe that that is going to transform the way that we live, not just individually, but the way that we live together as the church, as the body of Christ, coming under the authority, the head of the church, Christ Jesus. This is what our world needs. This is what we need. And so my prayer is that as we engage with the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit would bring it alive inside of you and it would truly transform the way that you live. Allow me to pray for us now. God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for what was captured so long ago in the words of Paul in this letter to the the church in Ephesus. It's not just an ancient text that's interesting to read, but in it, it conveys deep, deep truth about who you are. That mysterion, that mystery that is your will in Christ Jesus. Even something that's probably too deep for us to fully wrap our minds around. And so we rest in this place of knowing, God, that we are your children. God, our hearts are just filled to overflowing when we know that we belong to you. To know that as we are adopted into your family, as we come into the place of sons and daughters, we also come into the place of receiving a great inheritance. It's not provision for ourselves by our own work, by our own abilities, not by the idols that we worship in this world that tempt us and distract us, but it's us coming to a place of knowing the mystery that is in Christ Jesus and knowing that we have a full belonging to you through Christ Jesus and in that a great inheritance from the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that you begin to transform us individually and collectively, that it would go deep into our soul, that it would allow us to see ourselves differently as we see you differently. I pray, God, that you protect and guard our mind and our hearts against the attack of the enemy that would want to destroy the work that you're doing in us. I pray, God, that you continue to show us ways of becoming that tangible expression of you in this world. God, that out of the overflow of this transformation, it would lead to a loving impact in our world. God, we believe it and we pray it today in the name of Jesus Christ, under the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen.